Hear the word of God from Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Wow, sorry. Um, this reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on page 838 in the Pew Bible. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. None of us want to do this, do we? Loving our enemies is really kind of revolting to even really think about. It's the most demanding part of following Jesus, in my opinion. The most demanding, the hardest. And if you are like most human beings, as we encounter this teaching, you think, yeah, yeah, right. Love our enemies, do good to them, bless those who hate us, pray for people who abuse us. Come on. That's garbage, right? That's what we want to say. I mean, that's what I want to say. So I want for you for just a moment to indulge me. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine the face of a person who would qualify as an enemy. Or if that's not the label that works for you that you'd give to him or her, then at least somebody you dislike intensely. Get that person in your mind. Everybody got them? Now I want you to hear our key scripture verse for this week. But I say to you, listen, love your enemies. Love that person. Do good to that person who hates you. Bless that person who curses you. And pray for that person who abuses you.
Go ahead and open your eyes. No thanks, right? Right? That's probably what the first century hearers of this teaching of Jesus would have thought too. They had been taught the Old Testament teaching from Exodus that says this. Let's look at this one. If any harm follows, then you shall give what? A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That's what they would have thought of when Jesus was talking this way. And if we are honest, truly honest in our heart, We like Exodus more than we like Jesus, don't we? You like Exodus more than you like Jesus. I like Exodus more than I like Jesus in this setting. Because our inmost being screams to not love our enemies, not to do good or bless or pray to those who hurt us, persecute or abuse us. And I have some really great news And some really bad news. And so here's first the good news. You're not alone. You're not alone. The world and instinctual desires would have us conspire and plan and punish people for their misdeeds. It's just kind of normal. We've been plagued by this since the beginning of time. We can go all the way back to Genesis and see it there. When people hurt you, when people hurt me and us, our family, groups of people, the world, we get angry and we want to retaliate. And we want to retaliate whether the wounds are deep, slight, long-lasting, or short-lived, they're fresh, or they've been long-scarred. We don't want to respond with mercy. We long for punishment and justice for the transgression. But then we get this about love, which is really hard, really hard. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that you? For even sinners do the same. Most of us, whether you're a Christian or a spiritual, not religious, or a Buddhist, or a Muslim, or an atheist. You love the people closest to you, and we should. Family, friends, people from our tribes, we love them mostly. Some of them are hard to love, right? But we love them mostly well, and we shouldn't stop doing that at all. But as Christians, brothers and sisters, as people trying to follow in the way of Jesus, we are called to something more. And there's also a price to be paid for not doing it. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about after you die. I'm talking about here and now. There is a price when we hold on to hate. There is a price when we hold on to bitterness. And what that price is, is a heavy, heavy load. There's a price to be paid for feeling morally superior to anybody. It's a heavy, heavy load to bear. Hate, negativity, and moral superiority. So, I want to tell you about this guy. This is... uh, 
told this about five years ago. But there was this guy named Samuel Plimsoll. Plimsoll was an advocate. He, was, he lived in England. He was an advocate against a powerful shipping lobby in the 19th century in England. In his 20s, he was poor. He did this uh, venture, totally failed. He was uh, poor and struggling. And, and people said it was because of that, because of experience being in poverty, that he kind of became this advocate, that he heard this call to help those on the edges. And so what he did is he advocated for unpaid um, seamen who would um, go on these overloaded vessels that would sink. And so what happened is the shipping lobby, lobby would have this big boat and they'd overfill it with goods. And then what would they do? They'd take an insurance policy out on it. And it would be worth more at the bottom of the ocean than it would be afloat. And so Samuel Plimsoll advocated this lobby and he came with legislation and he came up with something called the Plimsoll Line. And it's used today in all shipping. You can Google it, Plimsoll Line. And it's a line with on the boat of how much you can actually load onto the boat safely. You know what those ships were called uh, that used to sink? They were known as coffin ships because everybody would die. It's like a coffin when you go out and sail to sea. You see, Jesus commands you and me to forge something new by loving our enemies. And you must not only pray for them, here's the hard part, we've got to forgive them. We've got to forgive them. And when possible, and this is even worse, this is, this is terrible, we must reconcile with them in the best of circumstances. MLK, we just celebrated his uh, day, said love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Rec reconciliation, while the best option, isn't always possible. Now, I want to tell you, nobody ever told, I don't know if anyone told you that following Jesus was easy, but if they did, they lied. Because this is really hard stuff, okay? It's really, really hard stuff. I want to be clear about something about loving your enemies, though. I'm not saying that there should not be outcomes for bad behavior. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be any boundaries or that we should be naive doormats who mindlessly return to the people that hurt us over and over and over again. And while reconciliation is the best and preferred options, in some cases, it just can't be. What I am saying, though, is that I think what Jesus says very clearly is that when we're unwilling to forgive our enemies, we block ourselves off from being forgiven. When the heart gets locked up, our ability to love diminishes. And we begin this, this process of building and packing our own coffin ship. Our own coffin ship that will take on water. 
Theolog uh, theologian Lewis uh, Smedes said this. He said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Forgiving, praying, and doing things that run counter to our instincts tend to unlock us from the prison which we have it, that we don't even know that we're in. And it, what it does is it restores our relationship in a new way with God and neighbor. Now, some of you might be thinking, this is impossible. I can't do it. I won't do it. I won't. And if you knew my situation, you would understand why. You don't know how that person cheated on me. You don't know when I was a little kid what that he or she did to me. You don't know how I was undercut at work. I can hear all of these things. And if that is you, I want you to know that I have been there with you in that space. There was a person in my life um, who hurt me and a lot of other people profoundly. This person would qualify as an enemy, for sure. And much of my life, I held hatred, bitterness, and unforgiveness towards this person. Many years. And what I found was, it was eating me up inside. Now, I had done a, a good bit of work in spiritual direction, therapy, and the 12 steps. And loving that person could never mean that we were reconciled. Couldn't. In fact, it might have been harmful or even dangerous to engage in that. But I just couldn't let go. Even there was times I made progress and then I'd hold it back again. You know, I'd get that, oh. And then the painful truth was revealed to me in a variety of different ways. My unwillingness to offer mercy had cut myself off from God. That was painful. So the question is, how in circumstances like that or maybe not that deep circumstances in your life where you have somebody who's hurt you or betrayed you or abandoned you or just gave, did slights to you, how do you forgive? How do you love somebody in a situation like that? And here's, I'm going to give you just a few guideposts that may help you on your journey. The first is to decide. Decide. Making a decision to forgive is a first step. Deciding isn't based on feelings. It's not based on the way you feel towards that person or about having to forgive that person. You don't even have to like it. But a beginning is to say this. A beginning is to say, I'm not going to let this person rent space in my head and constrict my relationship with God any longer. I'm going to decide to forgive and let go. I tell folks um, who struggle with this that I've talked to about it, um, one way is to invite God into the absolute truth of your feeling toward that person or that enemy. God, I don't want to forgive this person. I don't want to love them. I don't want to bless them. In fact, I hate them. And I want them to be punished. Or if not punished, I at least want them to come to me and acknowledge how they've hurt me or all their wrongdoings. I need you, God, to enter into my unwillingness to forgive and change my heart. 
So naming just how it is, making a decision and inviting God into that is a powerful first step. But brothers and sisters, here's what we have. We have the advocate. We have the Holy Spirit who is strong, strong within you and can change the direction of your will and your willingness or lack thereof. Decide and then ask. All that is needed is just a little bit of honesty of how you feel and a little bit of willingness to invite God into that mess of our, um, of our enemies. So here's the second way. Genesis 1 says that every man and every woman is made in the image of God. That means every person has the image of God within them, even if it's hard to see, it's tarnished by the things they've done, or they're just kind of an annoying and terrible person, or at least they behave that way. At a previous job, I worked with, usually fathers, but um, parents who had their kids removed to abuse or neglect. And on my caseload, I had about three or four men who had done some very terrible things to kids. I mean terrible. And what they did created so much pain and wreckage. And I was struggling to work with them, truth be known. I was was just really struggling. I was new, kind of in the field. And I spoke to a work uh, mentor about it. And this is what he suggested I do. I don't know if this guy was a Christian or not. He said, engage in some mental gymnastics. Mental gymnastics? What the heck are you talking about? And this is our second guidepost. I want you to engage that person that you you picked in your head. He said, I want you to review their case histories. I want you to go back and read about their case histories. We would do a case history with their, their history and the way they grew up and stuff that happened, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to read that. And then I want you to, when you next with, meet with them, I want you to listen to their stories. Have them tell you your story, and I want you to listen to it. I said, okay, I'd do that. And then he said, I want you to ask yourself. I want you to picture them, not as the adult that they are now, but picture them as a very little kid and see them as a, see them as a toddler or see them as a four- or five-year-old. And then imagine the possibility that a multitude of things went wrong in that little kid's life that made them the way they are today. I could do that. But then he said this. He said, now I want you to imagine that you went all through that. And you might have been able to do the same thing. Only by the grace of God go go I. Mental gymnastics help us see that sometimes if we had the same experiences as the people who hurt us, we might be capable of the same things. Whether they were small or large. It was the great equalizer for me. And this doesn't excuse or justify flawed personalities or behavior, but seeing our enemies as little unmarked children can help God move us toward love. 
Last but not least. And this in and of itself is the reason to forgive. And that Jesus doesn't say it any more clearly, and I don't love it at all, and you might not either. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, for whatever reason, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's on the mountain, and the Sermon on the Plain, he's on the plain. But in Matthew, he says this. We'll go up on the screen. It says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. But if you don't, you won't either. doesn't say it exactly like that, but that was my paraphrase. I want to tell you about that uh, individual I was talking to you about before. Um, after many years and with much work, I knew I needed to forgive in a more profound way than I had before. I had kind of made movements, but I felt like God was calling me to do it face to face after a lot of talk and work with the spiritual director. You see, I had decided to forgive a long time ago, but that, that didn't mean that I was engaged in reconciliation at that, at that time. And I did the mental gymnastics and I could see, I could see that person as a little kid. And it made it easier, it really did. We hadn't seen each other in 20 years, and I didn't tell him I was coming. I bought the ticket a couple months away, and um, I waited. And I was driving home one day. This was nine days before I, I, I was supposed to leave, and I got a phone call, and he died unexpectedly. Nine days before I was to go to do those face-to-face um, forgiveness. I went on that scheduled trip anyway, and I went to where he lived, and I came back a few weeks later to go to his funeral. If this tells you anything, none of his kids went. I was one of nine people that was at this funeral service. And at the graveside, They didn't have enough people to carry the body in the coffin. And they asked me to carry it. And I did. And I remember grasping that handle and carrying the weight and setting it in its place and letting go. And I obviously didn't offer forgiveness in the way that I thought that it was supposed to happen, the way that I had planned it. But ultimately, we were both free. And it was beautiful. To be free, brothers and sisters, decide to love your enemies. Decide that you will do good, that you will bless and that you will pray for them. Spend some time doing some mental gymnastics to see them as untarnished little images of God and pray that only by the grace of God go you. And as you do, you'll be able to pick up your coffin, the stuff that's weighing you down, And with the power of the Holy Spirit and God who has forgiven you, 
you can forgive. That's what we're invited to. And even though we don't want to do it, God empowers us. Let's pray together. God of light and love, we give thanks for the way that you loved us, for this difficult word that none of us really like that much. Help us. If we have anybody to forgive, help us to do that. Give us discernment to know when to reconcile and when to leave all alone. But take the heavy burden of hatred, of negativity, and of moral superiority. Take it out of our life so that we can love like you loved. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.